Hi, I am Olumide Olainka. A big hello and welcome to the Startup Lagos podcast. A podcast dedicated to highlighting the bubbling scene of the growing startup community of the city of Lagos. On the show, get to hear inspiring stories from founders, entrepreneurs, investors, corporates, and other ecosystem stakeholders. To subscribe to us, visit podcast.startuplagos.co. Stay tuned with us. Stay pumped. Good evening, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Yeah. My name is Olumide Olayenka, and we are starting the FinTech Talks from disruption to collaboration. Uh, this is brought to you by iForecast Talking and Business Insider. Um, I introduce to you Rotus from Business Insider, who's our moderator for the session today. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Thank you so much uh, for being here. Shout out to Startup Lagos for inviting Business Insider here to uh, moderate this panel. It's a fintech talk. We're discussing uh, disruption uh, to collaboration. And uh, also, you know, it's my first time here. Shout out to uh, Alliance Francais, the Micadenica Center. This building is uh, a personification of the idiom that if you build it, uh, they will come. So it's glad, great, great to be here. I'm about to introduce uh, our panelists uh, that that are going to be coming on stage to discuss uh, this fintech talk. First off uh, is the general manager from uh, MTN Mobile Payments, uh, is Elsa Mussolini. Please, a round of applause for her. All right, all right. Mussolini, of course, we're speaking, sounds a lot like Mussolini, the Italian dictator. But stay strong, Elsa, stay strong. Don't worry, we'll mix it up. All right, another famous person, we're starting with the celebrities first, uh, is Eric Wainana, and uh, he is from Kenya, and he is the commercial and growth lead for Africa's Talking. Eric, come on in. I Googled him. Eric Wainana is a famous artist. I thought maybe... After the demo, you would do a song, but it's not you. All right. Thank you so much for being here with us. Next up, uh, Ayodeji uh, Olowe, who is a trustee at Open Banking Nigeria. Ayodeji, come on in. Great to have you, sir. Great to have you, sir. Next up, uh, Edu Abasi Essien, uh, startup and ISV, uh, independent software vendor lead uh, for uh, Microsoft for Africa. Edu Abasi, there you go. Welcome, ma'am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, last but not least, Mr. Babajide Ashegbe Loin. I hope I got that right. Team lead, tech space ecosystem business with FCMB. Welcome, sir. Great to have you all here. Great to have you all here. So um, we will start left to right, right? And uh, right to left? Okay, right to left, right to left. Everyone, we'll start with you. Um, what is the winning combination for collaboration, as far as the fintech space is concerned, what's the, what's the formula? What do we need to put together in this particular space in order for collaborations to bring some kind of fruition? Right. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much. And uh, hi, hi, guys. Habari uh, zenu. That just means how are you doing. <laughs> so anyway, uh, in Swahili. So um, I think pretty much to come to your question, um, from where I see it, I feel it's in on three levels. Uh, to be quite specific. Um, so one is particularly on investment. Um, then the second lever is obviously on innovation and distribution. And I feel that that lever is particularly on talent. And 
um, on the investment side, the way I think about it is, um, so Africa Stocking is funded by Orange, is one of our investors. And when you think about Orange as an organization, uh, it's pretty much legacy. Uh, it's been there for quite some time, um, scale across um, the continent and even uh, in Europe. And uh, But they decided to invest in us. And one of the ways of looking at that is this organization that is pretty much uh, an established legacy organization deciding um, part of how I'm going to spend my R&D money is to pump it into an organization or a startup that I feel is uh, doing something to promote or to advance uh, whatever sphere that I'm operating in. And I feel like that's one of the most critical ways in which we can pretty much create that win-win collaboration between startups and uh, and incumbents because um, once those funds are available, um, then what it means is this startup is able to scale, grow across multiple uh, markets. Well, uh, this legacy organization is able to now um, advance itself and uh, uh, possibly uh, view technologies that are quite interesting for the future. And then coming to the second point around... Uh, innovation and distribution. So when you think about a scenario between a startup and, and, uh, and a large organization, it's uh, a startup hoping that they will amass distribution quite fast, uh, while hoping that the incumbent won't figure out that innovation as fast enough. So when you find that mix and mash between the two of them, where you have um, this startup being able to view the incumbent as a supporter of its distribution and they, that they can tap into that distribution, well, you have um, the, the, the incumbent viewing um, the startup as a source of innovation for them. I feel um, that's one other way that you can create uh, collaboration. And then finally, um, my last point is on talent. Um, I feel there needs to be a lot of cross-pollination between what startups are doing and uh, what um, their incumbent or legacy organizations are doing. And so you think about it, um, you have... Um, a bunch of people who are possibly at the C-suite level in uh, a huge organization or a legacy organization, and they have a mass experience. So all the data and all the ins insights and information around growing a space or growing uh, an ecosystem are sitting with these guys. But then uh, you have a startup that is very nimble, very agile, um, obviously knows what they want to do, but then um, they might have the engineering prowess, but then can't figure out all these other permutations. How do I write my stack? Um, uh, they, they don't, they, they are yet to figure out how, what's the best way to sort of deal with taxation issues. And so that cross-pollination where um, allows for development of network effects. So uh, this startup can access mentoring, it can access um, the right introductions and can be able to grow, scale itself quite fast. So I feel like those are the three areas in which that can take place. And um, I feel there's a lot taking place uh, in that sphere and, in, and, and, and more just needs to be done to advance it. Um, yeah. Fantastic. I like your point about talent. So it's, it's, we are not short of talent in Africa. It's just the, the, the push uh, as far as investment and funds that we need here. So the, the talent point, I like that. Elsa, your turn. Same question for you. Um, your combination for a win-win uh, soup, if you will, as far as collaboration is concerned. What are your thoughts? So I'm going to talk from the perspective of the big group like MTNO Orange that is meeting a small startup that is that has the right idea, but is trying to make a big deal signing off with MTN or another Bitelco. So this is a difficult situation when you think about this. Here is a big organization that has like lengthy process about payment, about signing off a contract and so on, that is facing a small and agile organization that needs that contract immediately, that payment immediately, and to start the partnership immediately. So when you think about this, the main difficulty is the time scale, right? One has a lot of time. 
as a business plan over 12 months. Another one, like need to get immediate re results to actually address a market and push his idea be before maybe maybe somebody else is going to, to do the same or, or, and go faster than you. So I think when you, when you meet, when you're in that situation to, to have the opportunity to meet that big organization, what, what, sh what should you do? What should you focus on to make, to make sure that actually you're not going to fail your business because you're going to keep being kept waiting during eight months, a partnership that maybe will never be concluded, right? So on that, on that situation, when, uh, when I'm in that position to meet a new exciting business is really, let's set up the expectation right, right? Do you have like an already running use case with a minimum pool of product so that you can actually sell to the big organization a proof of concept? Or you're still at that stage that you're trying to see how you could potentially find clients. I think it's very important to, th to come with a minimum variable product that is already running, minimum set of, uh, of product, so that it makes sense for the big organization. Don't plan everything on that big partnership that, you'll that you may do with the big organization, because it may, it may be done like 12 months late versus what you were expecting. And I think, uh, lastly, it's always remember it's true, you're not working on the same time scale. Good stuff, good stuff. So don't put your, all your eggs in one basket. Have a ready product already for that larger company that you want to collaborate with. And don't depend on them having the, uh, your, your product scale, you know, take off with them. So good points there. Thank you for that. Olga, we are talking earlier. You're the team lead. Uh, tech ecosystem space with FCMB. What about your thoughts as well as far as uh, what is required for a good collaboration in the fintech space? Okay, I think it's on now. Okay, so my perspective is, um, so like every form of collaboration, be it in fintech, uh, be it in agritech, insurtech, be it in whatever you do that consists of human beings, um, you need to have, number one, something similar to what um, Elsa has mentioned, um, the clarity of communication. Um, when people are in groups, um, be it the big corporate, be it the startup, um, be it incubators, accelerators, key players in the tech ecosystem, you have to have clear communication. Um, a corporate must be able to tell a startup that I can only move from A to B between 30 months. Um, and the startup should be able to appreciate where the corporate is coming from. Um, the problem usually is in a scenario where a startup, for example, engages a corporate and a corporate is not clear in communication and is not clear in managing the expectation of the startup. Um, so it's just a bit like a scenario between a parent and a child, you know. So you should be able to tell your child that, you know what, this is what I can do at certain time, you know, so that there's no discontent. Um, so I've mentioned part of communication, um, which is linked to transparency. Um, there also has to be um, a sense of um, managing competition vis-a-vis -vis collaboration, you know. So um, part of the challenges in the fintech space is um, we have several people providing the same kind of values um, to even the same industry. Um, is it possible for um, this set of people to have a common ground and come together um, to form a stronger unit to be able to achieve the greater good for the fintech space um, and for whatever space, you know. So um, being able to come together as a unit, uh, being able to ensure that there's transparency in communication 
Um, and very importantly, for any collaboration, um, there needs to be a sense of humility. Um, humility is a key part of co- collaboration because um, for people to work together, um, they must be able to um, come from down their eye horses um, to take in information from Mr. A, Mr. B, Mr. C, Mr. D, and transform it into something worthwhile for everybody. Um, And collaboration also, um, a key component is um, you must ensure that every component that wants to collaborate always has a sense of ownership. You know, so Mr. A must not appear as if he's the captain driving every other person. Every other person has a sense that to develop the fintech space, we are all equal partners. Even though we know Based on resources, based on capacity, some partners are bigger than the other. But, you know, you must be able to balance that so that collaborations are possible. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. I got open lines of communications, like a relationship, and then humility. I don't know if anyone watched uh, Trevor Noah's uh, interview with Burner Boy. He said uh, humility and Nigerians don't mix. You, you agree with him? Or are, are, we, are, we humble, are we humble people? They're laughing enough, enough. I th- think they know. Okay, but thank you for that. All right, open lines of communication, humility, and making sure you're part of a team. Very good points. Uh, Adiliji, uh, help us out. Uh, what's your combination for a win-win collaboration in the uh, fintech space? Yeah, thank you so much. I think the first thing we need to understand is without collaboration, there can't be any success, actually. Uh, and I, a lot of times, people believe that I was, people have over, overestimated their abilities. So you see the big companies think they can do it alone. The smaller companies feel maybe they can be disruptors or maybe they don't even have any hope. Now, coming from the big company's point of view, reality is that, uh, as people say, a, a single tree can make a forest. Now, here's the thing. I always tell people, like, if you've gone to the market before, you've never seen a paper seller sitting by herself. And the reason being that if you do that, nobody comes to you. But if you stay with your other paper sellers, they come around, but you can now compete locally. Now, what I've seen in Nigeria is quite some people, some people are doing collaboration. Like, if you look at bankers, if you look at manufacturer associations of Nigeria, they collaborate and they get a few things done. But within the fintech space, there hasn't been any collaboration. Everybody feels, oh, I'm the superstar. I'm the one that can bring out this amazing product and get it out. But unfortunately, right, it doesn't work that way. Because you end up facing the same challenges that everybody is facing, but you're never going to have, you're never able to solve it by yourself. But when you come together, you can leverage on each other. We all know about synergy, where you have 2 plus 2 will be equal to 10. But when you go by yourself, 2 plus 2 may be equal to 3. And so, like uh, he said, that we have to work, we have to be humble enough to know that we don't have the ability to do it by ourselves. Now, when we come together, we've We've all been in different meetings where you come with an idea and then someone else brings another idea and suddenly you realize that, look, that's a superior idea. And then you can build on that. That's what you get out of collaboration. So when people come together and everybody puts their ideas on the table, you can combine two or three. You could decide to jettison the one that isn't good enough so you don't waste money, waste time, and then you back what works. And I believe if we have that, it's going to help. Uh, even beyond bringing innovation to the market, even from an operational point of view. I know that most fintechs don't talk about it, but we have sometimes we have fraud. Now, people in Nigeria don't share fraud information. Now, so this fraudster knows that if I go to 
her and I steal money, I can go to him and steal another because she's not going to tell anyone. Now, if we look at the global email network, there's something they call the spam house where everybody actually pulls together their information. That's what has been protecting all our mailboxes from the avalanches of, of spams that go around every day because of collaboration. So, look, it just makes sense. I think it's the only way to go if anybody's going to make progress, especially if the smaller players want to be able to survive and thrive in the shadow of the bigger players. You can't do it alone. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Ms. Hessen, uh, what's your combination for a win-win collaboration in the uh, fintech space? So I'll say everyone had spoken, you know, in details. Um, but what missing possible? When you're trying to collaborate with a big entity, so I'll use Microsoft, right? Um, just so many... It's, it's a huge organization. There's so many departments. As a matter of fact, I probably don't have a clue on half of the departments that exist. So when you're thinking of a collaboration with Microsoft, then you need to be very clear on where, who do I, which particular team am I collaborating with? Where do you want to sell your message to? Because quite often what I've seen it happen over time is you are selling your message to the wrong team. So think of it as, uh, if I wanted to use example within the Microsoft portfolio, so Think of it that you have a solution that would probably, you know, fit toward an ERP, a small ERP solution. And then you're selling it to a team that works on the enterprise. Now, Microsoft has a solution in the enterprise space. So technically, you're selling it to a team which you're technically telling them, you know, I want to collaborate with Microsoft to compete with Microsoft. How be it, there's a room for that. But if you had done it differently, you're taking it to a smaller bunch to like the SMB team which probably the ERP solution is somewhat um, too expensive for a small, medium market, then those guys would begin to look at, you know, holistically what sort of collaboration can happen. Is your solution running off a Microsoft cloud? Can I be running with, with it as an indigenous Microsoft solution? How be it the IP is yours? So I think um, from a startup standpoint, I see that puzzle is always missing a lot. Um, if you're trying to collaborate with an organization, please do the homework of understanding what's the structure there, right? Who am I supposed to be speaking with? Am I speaking to the right person? Maybe by just speaking to the right person, you might be able to do things faster, easier, and more doors might be open. Yeah, pretty much. Fantastic. So do your homework before you approach one of these bigger companies. Make sure that you know you're speaking to the right person so you don't waste your time. And you also make sure you have the most fruitful collaboration by talking to the uh, right department. Thank you so much for that. Okay, so um, start again at the other, at, with you, uh, Eric. Um, the transformation, right, how we've achieved transformation from these collaborations. Can you go into, uh, we're not taking it to the next step now. So first, how do we get the right collaboration? Then the collaboration now happens. Well, how do we achieve transformation from there? Maybe use some examples with uh, Africa is talking or anywhere, anywhere else. Um, so how many of us here know Africa is talking or have, have ever heard of Africa is talking? Um, anyone has used Africa Stocking APIs? Okay, well, that's yeah, quite a number. Um, so I think um, the first step um, is sort of like this acknowledgement um, that the entire value chain is broken, right? And that future consumers um, need better in one way or another. Um, that, I feel, is the first sort of uh, step towards fostering collaboration. Uh, and then for us, we play in the API space, so pretty much it's that innovation. So I'll give an example, right? 
um, you have a student at the University of Ibadan and they're writing their very first application, right? Um, and uh, part of the workflow requires an SMS component. Um, so this student, before they can write this application, uh, will require to go to the regulator, um, get their prerequisite requirements, then move uh, off of there and go to each and every other telco, integrate, and then start building the application. So I feel the one thing that um, open innovation has really done and truly done is lowering that barrier of entry. What APIs have done across the continent is pretty much allowing um, that to happen. And so for us as Africa's talking, I feel that's the way we view it. Um, we, we currently have about 25,000 software developers building on our platform, uh, consuming both communication and payment APIs. So what that pretty much does, it allows you as a developer uh, who's building your very first application that is off of hotel core of our office bank uh, infrastructure to be able to get paid and importantly communicate. And so what that does is I feel that's the biggest um, sort of like uptick that you can really um, give an innovator or that you can give anyone looking to build whatever solution that they're looking, uh, that they're looking at. And so um, from, I, be, I believe from where I sit, I feel uh, platforms have really changed the game and um, we need to possibly um, have organizations now um, view it from that lens of um, how can we possibly uh, collaborate with other industry players, expand the ecosystem, and inadvertently bring on board as many uh, small-time players who might not have the same level of access as every single other person would have. Um, I think um, that that is quite transformative in one way or another. Um, I don't know what you think. Good stuff, good stuff. So lowering the barriers of entry, one of the tenets of a, a perfect competition is, of course, the low, low barriers of entry so more players can come in. Thank you for that, uh, Eric. Uh, Elsa, where do you stand on how, how, what you see as transformation from these collaborations? So I think one way to break the difficult situation I was mentioning before is actually that open API layer. So this is something that I believe most of the telco will do, Maybe Orange is partly doing it through Africa's uh, talking. I think the ambition for MTN Nigeria is to start is to, tar to start to move to open API like in the next few months. So as MTM Group, we have launched already a mobile money API platform, momodeveloper.mtn.com. So with that ambition to propose uh, the mobile money API in each of the countries where mobile money is present uh, to enable actually any developer to be able to connect collect using mobile money. So in the Niger situation, MTN is not yet granted a PSB license which would enable mobile money, but this is clearly where MTN Nigeria is willing to go and what we will offer to you as a developer community, as any startup to make, to, to make you able to actually develop on the sandbox at your own rhythm without to have, met, to, to have to meet anyone in MTN or wherever. No, you don't need to meet anyone. You develop on the sandbox. When you're re ready, you post your application, you receive your production key and you go live. No need to know anyone, no need to, to, meet, uh, to, to meet anyone, you do it yourself. So I think this is absolutely transformative when you think about it, about like collaboration. Because you actually do it yourself on the first stage. Grow then your, the usage, and then you can have a different discussion with MTN. Say, look, today we, we wait like one million transactions. Is MTN willing to deal a deal uh, distribution? co-communication uh, agreement, very di very different discussion than the one you would have, have like six months ago, hoping that MTN would like your idea and maybe give a bit of money to send an SMS. So I see really open API 
as transformative for the collaboration. Thank you for the talk. We should talk. <laughs> thank you, Dad. Uh, thank you, Elsa, for that. Thank you. I'm looking forward to when you guys get that uh, uh, PSB so you can, you know, that's financial inclusion is also there as well. That's also transformative. Uh, Babajidi, your thoughts as well. Uh, transformation from these collaborations. Where you at? So I would, um, so they are looking at um, where we are and going to, um, but I would like to, maybe because of my background as an historian, I would like to show quickly um, how far we've gone, um, even at, for the financial sector, um, what collaboration has done um, and what it has given birth to. Uh, and a quick um, transformation is in the payment sector. Um, it's easy for everyone to want to do instant transfer today. Um, and there are still several countries that have advanced technology that have not gotten to that point of doing instant transfer. Um, I think I was reading in the papers, I think maybe a year plus, um, when Hong Kong celebrated for the first time um, doing instant transfer. Um, so I think transformation um, has been validated um, in the payment sector because of the you know, the, the desire by banks, for example, to come together, you know, to set up um, fintechs, in quotes, that have now become the basis upon which several other things are being done. Um, and so it's, it's easy. I, I tell people that it's easy to say, oh, you know, fintechs, payment is not working. But we've, we've done some, some good things that um, today several people can easily use their maybe FCMB, USSD, and do a transfer um, immediately and you get value. Um, that's because of collaboration. You know, so so that's that's what I just want. Thank you for that. Share. We tend to take these the, the transfers for granted because we've had it for quite a while. But that's a very good point. Adediji, love to like your thought, your thoughts on you know the transformation that we've seen from these uh, open uh, collaborations. Oh, if you notice on the internet today, uh, it's easy to start a company because the barriers are lowered. Like uh, the open banking I've been driving at for the past two years, we believe that lower, creating this common standard which is open, is what will allow transformation to happen. Now, today, if you, you have a lot of startups in Nigeria, especially for us, and then you ask yourself, why didn't this happen like about six, seven years ago? was because at one time, if you want to have your own company, you need to buy servers, have a server room, have connections, which most people can, couldn't afford. Now, today, if you have an idea, once you develop, you go on AWS, you could be up and running in the next one hour. Now, that reduced the barrier and allowed so many ideas to come to the market, and then the market has selected few winners. So we also believe that with open banking, for example, thousands and thousands of fintechs or thousands and thousands of products and ideas will be able to come to the market, and then the market will select even much more winners, and then we are looking at the, what, is, what that kind of transformation we can have. And I will give you a, a good example. You see a lot of companies today are trying to give credit to Everybody. Now, they are doing well, but there is a significant challenge for them. Most often than not, if they want to assess your credit, you need to provide a statement. Now, the ability to get a statement today is very, very difficult. Like, and these companies don't like to take, maybe sometimes they can take PDFs, 
but they want to be able to have access to the true source of statement. But that is so difficult today. I know there are a few services here and there that really don't work well. But imagine being able to have open banking where any lender can connect to any bank to check, of course, based on consent, to check your statement. Then you can see credit getting to millions and millions of Nigeria. Just follow that path and see what happens. What you see is that people can get credit easily, means that they can live better life, they can deal with their emergency, maybe medical issues, they can send their kids to school, they can make sure they can pay their rent, they can then start having access to buy a few things. The whole economy will grow, all because there is an access to data. That is simple, that is you don't need to call anyone, you don't need to struggle to get. So I, those are the fundamental beliefs we, be, we have in open banking that is pushing us to get to the standard. And the same thing that drives, look, you buy a new phone today, you put in your email address, and you can start sending emails. It's because there is a standard called SMTP that made it, so, that made it to happen. Remove that standard, trust me, we can't send emails anymore. Imagine life without emails. Imagine life without being able to send SMS. You travel abroad and you put in your card into an ATM and it works. It's because there's a magic of a standard. You want to pick up the phone, maybe you're an MTN and you want to call somebody in Australia, there's a magic of a standard called SS7. Without all these common global standards, right, that have made life easy for every single person, the world we know today will not exist. And we believe with open banking, there's a better world out there for everyone. Fantastic. I'm with you on the credit. In the West, you can lease a Mercedes for three years, drive it off, and then return it after you're done. So we need that here. Huh? The Instagram will be explode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Essie, what's your uh, your take on uh, transformation from open collaboration? Yeah, so um, as I'll speak from a Microsoft standpoint, right, um, when you think of the transformation that has happened, I mean, thinking of Microsoft as an organization where today you probably say, oh, Microsoft has a lot of machine learning models, artificial intelligence model. But when you begin to look at the grassroots, you look at the customers in itself, um, the machine learning models, is that exactly what the customer needs? No actually someone has to do the job of meeting the last mile for that customer. So just having, um, making that platform open that any, you know, creative company, any startup, any, you know, anybody sitting outside his room or her room can put up and say, oh, there is a bank out there who probably will need um, some sort of this and it's going to be riding on the Microsoft machine learning model. That alone is a lot of transformation. And, you know, um, over the years, Microsoft had, you know, had sort of noticed this early and had done a lot of work in that aspect. So what they've done a little bit to take it a step notch is if you have those kind of solutions that are building on those Microsoft open platform, um, you know, you bring it to Microsoft and then we sort of have a process. So we want to get to this, we're getting to, we're getting to the stage where I as a Microsoft employee am having a conversation with um, with maybe DG, and DG is maybe the MD of a bank, and I'm hearing what his needs are, his needs is. And if I wanted to use um, an example for a bank's needs, or DG might be telling me, oh, I want to be able to measure the effectiveness of my teller officers. What does that mean? I want to, I have a reputation in the industry that um, bank A, my bank, they are very rude. I want to know, you know, how do I measure the effectiveness of these people? Now, as a Microsoft employee, what I wouldn't, what I, I wouldn't do is leave and say, you know what, um, DG, you know, Microsoft, we have, a, we have Office 365, we have Windows 10. No, rather what I would do is I'll come and check within the ecosystem who's built something using the Microsoft platform that can do that and then make a sort of recommendation. So most importantly has been the opportunities that comes 
within that ecosystem on even helping build the business. And also understanding that there's a win-win strategy for both. So think of it as whatever platform you had built and it was running on the Microsoft Cloud technology. What does that mean? Um, you are that startup. I'm just, I just marketed you to Bank A for a solution. That means you had just acquired Bank A as your new business. Invariably means you're going to be growing your portfolio on the Microsoft platform which you're using. So at the end of the day, it's sort of, you know, with a thought-through model, it's a win-win strategy. And, and this is just one out of a lot to mention from the sort of transformation that has happened within the tech space from collaboration. Thank you. Thank you, Edward Basti. Thank you for that. All right, so we've talked about what we need for a collaboration. We've talked about the transformation that we've seen. And now we get to the sticky stuff. Uh, we get to the challenges uh, that we uh, encounter from these collaborations uh, in the fintech space. Eric, again, we start with you. The challenges, man, there's, there's, there's a number of them, but what, what's your take? What, what kind of challenges have you seen? Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of them, uh, but I feel um, the most uh, sticky, the stickiest one is just a lack of true uh, research and development uh, in these organizations. Uh, so, and again, uh, the risk that is associated by, with this startup. So on the R&D side is um, you have a huge organization that uh, has these sticky needs, but then um, their runs are quarterly. So you have a budget allocated to R&D, but yet um, how do you pretty much um, report for that? What did you use the money to do? Shareholders will ask. And um, so that's a problem. Again, um, it's just this feel and need that I want to solve a problem instead of transform it. So you have a sticky problem in logistics. Um, you can go the entire length of taking the time to invest in it and possibly work uh, with an organization that can fix that. But then um, it takes a while. You want an immediate problem that will fix my problem in the next six months, the next three months. And that's not just going to happen. Um, it will be an immediate problem. And then in the next 18 months, you're going to have the same problem, but then much more compounded. So um, I feel that's a very major uh, challenge in that regard. But then, uh, obviously, on this other layer, it's uh, the risk that is associated with startups. So reputational, obviously, and um, also uh, how do you price for that risk? You're sharing your data. Um, how, how, what, what sort of takes do you, do you give around that? Um, this is going to be thorny, <laughs> but then I feel the other problem is there's just a lot of IT maximalism stuff going on um, where you have uh, companies that just want to check off stuff. Oh, we're working with startups. We have this fund, and we're doing all this cool stuff. Um, and then you also have um, companies just want to win awards. Oh, we, we are on this digital transformation journey. But then it really doesn't have any impact on like the true ecosystem. Um, or the true advancement of the ecosystem. And for me, I feel that's a very, uh, a very sticky problem. And then finally, just this lack of know-how um, in one way or another. So uh, you truly know that you need to be advanced. So um, I, I didn't think blockchain was interesting uh, from a personal perspective. But then um, if you attended any conference last year, it was all that CEOs across the continent and across the world were speaking about. Then, oh, it's blockchain right now. Um, it's, you see, so it's this whole buzzword, yeah, we are doing, we are in there, uh, but then it's not truly transformative um, because of just this lack of know-how. So I feel that's a challenge, and uh, possibly we can speak about how um, that, that can get solved in one way or another. Yeah. Thank you for that. On research and development, uh, ladies and gents, I mean, if you think of, I don't know what, Nigeria's budget is, what, $30 billion. There are some companies whose R&D budgets 
are bigger than countries. I mean, it's, it's that important. So thank you for, for, for raising that, Eric. Elsa, I'll come to you. Uh, what kind of challenges have you seen? Uh, or can you speak about um, f- as far as, you know, innovation and collaboration is concerned? So I think to build on what Eric said, I think the main challenge is to move all the different big stakeholders together. We can move like the telco space, MTN open, open API. Then you are from, from the experience from what he did in other country, the main first challenge, half of the developer that would subscribe on your sandbox, only half will succeed to use the API. So it, it questioned the, the question in terms of university curriculum, how do we train, how what, what kind of effort is done by the academy today to actually train students and like or post-students, like people to be ready for blockchain, API technology, or well, education science pushing for it. The next, uh, amongst those developers that will be okay, successfully use the sandbox, we are going to lose another half of them because they don't have, an appro- they don't have the certificate of incorporation all the registration thing of the company. They have not yet at the stage of registering their company or not yet in the mindset. No, it's not only about myself as a developer. It's about setting up a business. So again, it's it's question like, how far are we again like supporting those people to get trained from business perspective and to meet and to actually set up a business in a way that it can be successful. Uh, last one, when finally, those developers as an incorporate company and so on on the sandbox is working. Guess what? They're ready, but there is no money. So all, all the venture capital can, can support. All venture capital in a country, so I, I understand that there are many or many in Legos trying to offer proposition, all efficient it is. And all big companies like banks or telco are actually also setting up equity or like accelerator program where they be able to invest from a private or even government from a public perspective to support the ecosystem. So for me, the challenge is that how do we move that collaboration set of stakeholders all together so that we are not in a position where there are things that are happening but is never fully actualized. Thank you for that. Thank you. Yeah, right go, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that um, we did at Africa's Talking is we realized that was a huge problem. So you'd have developers who sign up onto the platform and, uh, yeah, I signed up. Uh, you have 10 units of credit, and then that ends up. But then what um, – so you have the API, you have all this nice documentation, but then it sort of doesn't um, – you don't take them through the entire journey. And so what we decided to do is uh, we collaborated with a bunch of universities, um, and we're also doing that in Nigeria across. um, So we do that in, I think, nine countries. And so you're going around these universities, you're going around in these meetups and all these communities, and you're speaking about our standards, and uh, possibly we're building our entire stack on Scala. Why is Scala interesting? Um, Here's how the APIs work. Um, And inadvertently, you start to see that value. So ideally, you'd see a developer sign up onto the platform, and they're utilizing the 10 units that we give them. Um, In a space of a bunch of months, uh, following all these activations, the documentation, and everything else, uh, the top-up is now, what, $10, goes on to $100, and then uh, you have these guys who are now building at scale who randomly started writing uh, their code in PHP and are now writing great code in uh, Scala, in Python. So for us, it's been an interesting journey, but I totally see what you mean. And absolutely, I think um, it's space for collaboration again. Yeah. Excellent. I like the fact that you've both touched on 
private enterprise partnering with universities and schools in the education sector. But what we also need more is for the public sector to do that as well. I mean, they have to, because as Elsa has mentioned, the curriculums are on the public side are, are outdated, you know. But so we're, we're thankful for the private sector for doing that. But that definitely is a thank you both for, for pointing that out. Uh, Babajide, challenges. Um, so um, I'll look at the challenges from um, where I sit from, um, and that's um, assisting my bank um, engage the tech ecosystem. So incubators, accelerators, venture capitalists, um, tech startups. Um, and I think there's a general problem. Um, and number one is, um, I think in this part of the continent um, or the world, um, we say or we talk more than we do. Um, so execution is a great challenge. Um, I've been to tons and tons of conferences, and we talk all day. Policy documents are discussed, but no work through execution. Um, I think, um, and that's why I respect some of our Asian friends. You know, um, they don't talk too much. They just do. You know, so um, so I think that's a big challenge. Um, the second thing that is a big challenge is um, the PR beat and the boss beat of um, what we refer to as the tech ecosystem. So today we're talking about fintech. Um, and wh why I'm talking about the PR beat is, um, from my engagement, a big challenge is that um, some of the tech startups that have come to emerge, um, I've seen this PR beat or this bubble as an also. You know, so um, there are several accelerator programs, for example, that I have designed on behalf of my bank or Akatons. And you know what I see? I see the same set of guys trying to compete for the grant. I see the same set of guys at Akaton A, Akaton B, sponsored by even your competition sponsor. You know, so it has become an also such that um, startups are no longer spending time developing and building products. Um, they move from one hackathon to the other, um, and they move from one accelerator program to an accelerator program. Um, so it's a big challenge, the, the PR boss. Um, so the ecosystem is good. It's good that it's getting information, but um, we're having people at this part of the world um, not building product, um, but taking advantage of the space. Um, and I think the last thing which you tried touching up is I think the greatest challenge would be uh, maybe adequate support um, from the public sector. Um, so I think, in my own opinion, what we are doing should be private-driven. Um, but if we would really have quantum leap, um, we need um, aggressive um, public sector support um, because um, we pay VAT. We practically do everything for ourselves in this part of the world. VAT, VAT is going up for 2020. You know that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that, Babajide. Adeliji, uh, your thoughts on the challenges that, we are, that we're seeing? Yeah, well, before I talk about the challenges of open banking, I think I'll need to uh, say something slightly counter to what you said. Yeah, I know that there is a lot of hype. Right, but I think the challenge is that we don't even have enough startup or fintechs in Nigeria. Now, look, how many are we in Nigeria? Like 200 million. How many fintechs? How many startups? I don't think you'll stack them after the other, maybe about 200. In a country like Israel that has like 8.9 million people, they have about almost 8,000 fintechs. That's like one for every 1,000 people. Let's say we take 50% discount, we look at that in Nigeria, what do you have? You probably need about 
thousands and thousands in Nigeria. So that's the truth. So we don't have enough because our problems are not being solved. So it's easy when they, they so they, the noise, it's like we're all sitting in an echo chamber, right? You tend to bump into some set of people, so you feel, no, but we don't because we have so much problem in Nigeria. Um, today, when you look at financial inclusion, there are about, like from Elfina last year, 36.6 million people don't have bank accounts. That's equal to like the 38 million people that have BVN. Look, so we have like the market is out there. Now, the product that works for those who have money is not going to be the product that is going to work for those who don't have money. Uh, I know a lot of time people talk about financial inclusion and they talk about savings. I always laugh because I think it's the stupidest thing I've ever had. Because you can only save when you have enough. When you have a country with about almost 90 million people living on less than a dollar ninety a day, what do you have left to save unless the sunshine? So you can't, you can't do that. So, but which is the reason why I believe that open banking will pave way for credit because with credit, you have a lease of life. When you have a lease of life, then you can have a source, you can have business. You can, whether you take 10, sometimes if you go into the market in Nigeria today, you see market women will take like $10,000 loan in the money, buy goods, sell, and then return in the evening, maybe just make $2,000. And then they are okay with that. This is what we need. We don't even need credit for those who want to buy cars, who want to do mortgages. Look, those are problems for people that don't really have so much problems. If you go outside of uh, echo chamber, you say that. Now, coming to the challenges of open banking, uh, like somebody said, we talk, we don't act. You said the Chinese people. Uh, so when I got out of banking, I was working somewhere, and we wanted to build an app that allows you to uh, see all your bank balances across. Nice idea. Seems like a very simple thing to do. As in, after all, I could see all my emails on my phone, and then I started going around banks, and it was the most, it was the toughest period of my life because it looks like I couldn't do anything. Like simple things couldn't just get done. Now, so when I started talking to people, that why can't we get this simple idea? Why can't you get it done in Nigeria? Everybody said, "Oh, that's where it's always been." And I told myself, "Look, I'm not going to join you guys to complain." And at first, I said, okay, let's have a... Co that was when open banking was starting in Europe. And I said, let's have a common standard in Nigeria as well. Of course, I was afraid. I thought, how could I change all these banks? Like, But then I told myself, if I don't do it, it's going to do it. Maybe somebody will do it, but so far, nobody has done it. Then we called everybody, and then we started doing it. Now, that's where the challenges started from. Because some people, you felt that were been the first to jump. People that talk about innovation, that talk about collaboration. But then when you call them to the table, they never show up. Everybody is like, it's a village goat problem. Everybody thinks the goat is going to eat in somebody else's house. And that guy is thinking the goat is going to go to eat. Then one day you find the goat dead. So we were all running around in circles that way. And you will feel the innovative companies will be the one that will be in front. No. I can tell you that. So people talk about government. It's difficult to get things done with CBN. I can tell you in the two and a half years I've been trying to do, we've been at this open banking journey, the most engaging session we ever had was with the central bank. They literally wanted to rip our head out and suck out every idea we have about open banking. And then you also find the most the unusual people offering help. We went to a bank one day, this presentation, they love it. We left. They called us and said, don't you guys need money? I said, yeah, we need, but we don't ask for money. And then they gave us grant to build the sandbox, which we are currently working on. There's one time we were going to England for open banking conference, and a somebody... So there's a bigger foundation has some people in Lagos and but in the end those is the guys from Kenya that actually paid for the guys in Nigeria to go to that place. So that's what you find very interesting. That those you feel will drive things 
are not there because everybody has this belief that, you know, I can do it by myself. It doesn't concern me. Or, look, when they do it, we all enjoy it together. Not knowing fully well that that your effort may be the thing that will make that thing go. But we believe, we've gotten to a critical stage where our initial fear that maybe this thing is possible has disappeared because the CBN fully lined up, a lot of banks are lined up, almost all the top industry players that find innovation important have lined up. And then we just believe you just need maybe six months, one year, and then this thing will be live. And for us, what keeps us going is we believe that when this thing is done and then we have thousands more fintechs come around, so they will stop going to Akaton and start, actually start building products now. We believe their impact on financial inclusion, on credit, we believe is what the whatever pain we are going through at this time. Deep. Thank you so much for that. Excellent. Edubasi, uh, your, th- your thoughts on the challenges that we're seeing? Yeah, so I'd say within the you know the ecosystem, when you're seeing the fintechs or those, it really pretty much every other startup is trying to collaborate with a technology company. Um, one, um, I like the word he used. I think most people are doing it as hustle because, again, um, a startup would come have a really engaging meeting with you, and, you know, you're trying to push things internally um, two months down the line or when you're calling, oh, I got a job I'm, I'm, <laughs> or I'm relocating to Canada. I'm like, okay. So it, it pretty much felt like, well, there, is, there are less jobs in Nigeria or there are less jobs in the ecosystem. So, you know what, what should we do? What should we do? So there's the commitment to it. It's not really there. And then you begin to have people asking you questions internally when you've probably raised the roof on people that are on their way to Canada. Now, that's pretty much one of it. And then the other part is for the ones that you've been, you know, um, you know that, have, that want to stay and you're building that whole motion with them. So when it comes to looking at their infrastructure and you sort of realize from a technology standpoint, this is not based on best practices. So if we're going to be slamming our brand, you know, with this technology uh, and we're going to be fitting into the ecosystem, everybody has to know that this has to work. You know, we don't want to hear this has failed and, you know, the first thing that you pick up is that, oh, Microsoft was the brand behind it. How be it? It was being built by it. So you sort of realize that um, the whole whatever and from the best practice and standards on how it should be done, it wasn't quite done right. And then you hear the guy saying, oh, my top developer has just been pushed or, you know, those kind of stories. So I think for me, the challenges here are there's a whole lot of, you know, from, a, from the ecosystem, the commitment to actually carry it out to the end. How be there's a lot of challenges within the startup ecosystem. Do they have the commitments for it? And you know, are you just building stuff? Are you benchmarking whatever you're building with what is best practice, what is out there in Western world, what is out there in more developed regions? Because again, that's if you're looking at you know building something that's going to meet standard, then that's what you should be benchmarking. Thank you for that. Thank you. Okay, we're down to our, our, our final point now. So we've gone around this, you know, what it takes to get the collaboration together the transformation that we have seen, the challenges that we are facing now. Uh, final point, I want you guys to look ahead. What can we gain from these collaborations? I guess give us some kind of short-term, long-term outlook. What is it that, that, that the ecosystem, the wider nation can gain from this? Eric, let's start with you again. Um, yeah, so I think the most important thing that is to be gained uh, from the entire thing for both the startups and uh, obviously for established organizations is a much wider and expansive market. Um, You think about it uh, currently, and markets are, one, uh, coming online at the fastest pace uh, that that has never happened. So a lot of the informal sector is becoming formalized at a very quick and rapid pace, right? And then um, you think about it from a second layer, and uh, 
you have these organizations, uh, you have these um, developers building amazing solutions, but then um, tapping obviously into this large critical mass of people, uh, but then uh, you have these legacy organizations that have no idea how they're gonna tap into that. So increasingly what are you starting to see? Uh, the emergence of super apps, and, uh, but then um, there's a lot of layering that can happen uh, for both legacy to get involved in those spaces. So just the growth of this very, very large market um, is one of the things that I think is gonna be interesting. The second thing I feel is uh, development of skill sets um, for both of them. So uh, what you have is obviously the experience side of things and then obviously uh, with the startups it's um, much more semi-skilled growing emergent spaces right and um, way into the future what I feel is going to be interesting is um, a lot of the uh, spending that um, an incumbent organization would spend um, upskilling uh, their staff, for instance, is going to be embedded into the startup ecosystem. So you're tapping into the skill set that these uh, organizations have been able to develop. And finally, I think um, it's just the growth of technology. Um, we like to say this thing at Africa's talking that we have to transform Africa within our lifetimes, right? And for us to be able to transform Africa within our lifetimes is to appreciate the power that both the mobile phone and the motorbike has in terms of uh, development of economic growth. And for that to be able to happen is if we are able to avail the smallest units of innovation, so that is an SMS and airtime, uh, to allow people to get paid and people to communicate, then um, embed interesting technology that is for this continent and uh, for masses of this continent, then um, you'll see a lot of change. And so in the future, that, that's what I feel is much more exciting, both for existing organizations, for startups, and primarily and most importantly for the African consumer. So you have this choice and you have all these interesting things going around you. And so um, it will be great if we can build a true digital African economy. And um, yeah, I'm, 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 hope, I'm looking forward to that. Excellent. The transformation I want to see in my lifetime is 24-7 lights in Nigeria before I leave. I badly want to see that. Thank you for that, Eric. Uh, Elsa, uh, what's your outlook? What do you think we can gain? Well, how, how do you see things? So three, three major things. I think from legacy established organization, is clearly the beginning of uh, outsourcing of the in innovation. Today, the way a company like MTN works, there is a product roadmap that is rolled up over 12 months. In that new world, there is still that product roadmap, but there is also thousands of the product roadmap that the, across one single innovation broke by the legal legacy organization trigger another thousand of them that will customize every single product to a micro segment of customer because it answered in a better way the same use case that was very basically, I want to do a payment. It's actually no triggers in 1,000 way to do that same, that same transaction. So I, I, I see it as uh, obviously an amazing output for every consumer being able to tailor to like each specific use of each product in each single, uh, single part of the continent. I find, I find it absolutely promising. The second thing is apps, apps, use of smartphone and so on. I think as a continent we are still facing today quite a low penetration of smartphone. And number two, even the people who have smartphone, they hardly do a bit of Facebook and WhatsApp, but that's it. So when are we going to unlock? I, th I see that collaboration as finally going to unlock the use of meaningful application across the, uh, the customer segments and, and much, much beyond what Facebook or WhatsApp 
are maybe achieving on the Nigerian market today. Thank you for that, Elsa. So, Very, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, and my third point is obviously that goes as well with setting up a, a layer of SME, successful SME. So, I'm both French and Italian. In Italy, this is a country of the SME. This country is full of small SME. They are the big corporate, but they were successful from an economical perspective because of that ability to create like the, the 10,000, 100,000 small SMEs that actually make money and create jobs, which is a key way to unlock economical development outside of having 10 big corporate and the rest into the informal sector. Thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Babajiri, yeah. uh, how do you, what's, what's your outlook as far as what we can gain from these collaborations? Um, so I, I think um, for Africa, um, I think um, collaborations in the technology space um, should give birth to prosperity um, because um, what we are battling um, is a battle of um, we are fighting our village people who don't want us to prosper. Then we are fighting the government who might not want us to prosper the way we want to. Um, but um, technology has the ability um, to democratize and liberalize um, the potentials of success. Um, and, you know, um, as I'm speaking, you know, I, I was just thinking that how I wish I was in school, for example, when there was Google. You know, I wish there was Google when I was in school. And I would have overblasted. You know, <laughs> let me use that word. You know, I would have. You know, so what that what I'm saying in essence is that um, the internet age democratizes knowledge, um, and everything we're saying here is talking about democratizing access to payment, democratizing access to financial services, democratizing access to practically everything that can make our life better. And when it makes our life better, you know, it should make our pocket heavier. <laughs> Thank you for that, Babajide. Uh, Adiriji, uh, where are you on uh, how you see what we can gain, you know, from these collaborations? Yeah, wh what I would say is uh, if we go back like 20 years, uh, then there was nobody had phones in Nigeria. I think Nigeria was like 80, 90 million people. And then we had about 700,000 lines. Only, only 400,000 were working. And then if you wanted to get a mobile phone, you buy this not night not, right? For it then used to cost about four hundred and fifty thousand. And that was it. Now if you want to go if you want to check that in dollars now, probably look, I can't even do the math, it's some crazy numbers. And, and at that time is I remember people going to Benin Republic and they tell us stories of even bike men having mobile phones. And then we used to think, really, God we must have offended God big time in Nigeria. And it was that bad. And when 2001 came and w they were going to auction uh, GSM licenses, most people didn't believe it. I think maybe I think MTN believed. I don't know why they believed because at that time it felt foolish to believe. And today is a different ball game. Now we have like 160 million phones. Like you, you literally can't find anyone without a phone today. If you find someone without a phone today in Nigeria, you probably think it's a psychopath. Like why don't you have a phone? It's like why are you walking around without having a head? Now, it's the same thing. Now, today, we're forgetting about that because something happened. And today in Africa, when you check uh, FDI for startup investment, so you usually see Nigeria and Kenya, you know, battling for supremacy in that aspect. You're seeing some global players coming up. You're seeing um, a 
lot of things happening. So I believe that the future is so bright, we can't just imagine it. Because I believe that, look, uh, which is what drives us, believe that by the time we remove the barrier to innovation for young players, right, new set of people will come into the market that will become global p giants that we never imagined. I always tell a story of uh, Linda Ikeji that lives in Banana Island, drives a Bentley. But she started using a uh, uh, Google Blogger platform. She didn't even have money to build her own website. But that little seed created wealth, created value. I believe the same thing will happen because just imagine uh, people being able to now give credit to tens of millions of people in Nigeria. What kind of company would that be? So I believe that when people talk about unicorn, yeah, I know it's an overused buzzword, but actual unicorns can come out of Nigeria. Today, MTN is the largest company on the Nigeria Stock Exchange. Now, 20 years ago, if somebody said, oh, the largest company in Nigeria will be a, a mobile telecommunication company, so it's either they laugh at you or somebody's going to slap your head to correct it. So that's why I see it. I believe that in five years' time, we'll have global players in Nigeria, and that will be successful because of all the things we do. Five years? Yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank you. Edward Basi, uh, I know, right? It's, it's very optimistic. Edward Basi, what, what are your thoughts on uh, what we can gain? I mean, I would say, um, if, I, if I wanted to give an example, I like giving this example. So if you want to look back at, look at some 20 years ago, um, where you used to have this typewriter. So I remember my mom, um, there used to be people who had a role that was about typewriting. You know, it's sort of like a company secretary where it was, you remember they used to learn shorthand. There was, there was, there's probably really a course on this. Like people learn shorthand. The reason why I remember so vividly, like my mom was super good in it. And so think of that and think of the emergence of computer, right? You know, at the point where computer was coming, it's like pretty much, I mean, someone had spent how many years in school learning this thing. You know, shorthand is actually a language, which today nobody remembers that. And with the whole typewriter, you push right, you push left. But now when you come to think of it today, today there's computer, today there's that um, high school, secondary school boy or girl who knows how to use a computer. And most importantly, there's been an outbreak of computer, there's a Linda Ikeji who's writing on computer to do a lot of stuff. That's a lot of prosperity. There's a, there are a lot of people taking on courses today, software engineering, data science, um, different, a whole lot of models, a whole lot of prosperity, a whole lot of career path is being charted, right? So I think with, with a lot of collaboration, when I think of Africa as a continent or even looking at Nigeria, it's going to open up to a lot of opportunities. Yes, there's a lot of um, uh, innovation happening within the fintech space, but what I like to say is when we begin to think of that unbanked people, you know, most of the technology today is riding on a smartphone. We think of that, my grandmom in the village who only just have a phone to dial me and like, oh, Merry Christmas or a Happy New Year. When you begin to think of a technology that will get to that, to that last mile of people, then we are, you know, that's where we're really, we're in it. We're about to change the demography and where things are happening. So I think um, the advantage and everything that's going to come with this is about, it's going to be a whole lot of lo job creation and it's going to be a whole lot of opportunities open. I think it would also grow the economy, you know, make more money. Everybody's happy. All right. So good note to end the, uh, end the panel on. Thank you uh, to uh, Mr. Eric Wainana, commercial and growth lead for Africa's Talking. Thank you so much uh, to uh, Elsa uh, Mussolini, uh, MTN Mobile Financial Services, the general manager. Thank you to you for joining us. Mr. Babajide. Okay. Ashek Beloin. Did I get that? I'm close, yeah? I tried. I tried. Okay. Uh, team lead, uh, tech-based ecosystem business at uh, FCMB, Mr. Adedeji uh, Olowe, trustee, Open Banking Nigeria, and of course, uh, Ms. Edubasi, SCN Startup, and uh, ISV lead for Microsoft for Africa. Thank you all for your insightful thoughts on the panel. Uh, round of applause for them, please, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, up next... 
I believe that uh, uh, Africa is talking has a presentation for for us from Femi uh, Fawale. Uh, that's going to be our next uh, coming up next for you guys. So you know, sit tight. It's going to be nice. Thank you so much. Okay, I'm supposed to. I'm Rose's Business Insider. Do check out the website and read up on on all our stuff. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. Stay tuned to our next episode. Subscribe to us at Startup Lagos on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. Visit us at www.startuplagos.co.